And uh, turn, take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. We have just finished preaching through Psalm 119. And I want us to, this morning, look at a different passage. I want to read verses 1 through 4, reading from the New American Standard Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one on the back of the pew in front of you. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer for each and every one of us that he indeed is the center of our lives, the center of our joy, the center of our very existence. May we be able to say like the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. And Father, we're grateful for this privilege we have to worship you. And now we come and ask that you would speak to each of us through your word. We're thankful that your word is living and effective and cutting and penetrating and discerning and that it will be just that in our lives. Give us ears to hear and hearts to heed what thus saith the Lord. We pray pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. How's your prayer life? Prayer is one of the greatest privileges that the believer possesses. Because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, when God saves us, we have access to God the Father. It's as if Jesus himself ushers us into the presence of his Father. But we have more than just access to God. The Bible tells us we have the opportunity and the privilege to commune with God and to communicate with God. Paul informs us that we are to make our requests known to God. Peter says that we are to cast all our cares upon God because he cares for us. James says that the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And John the Apostle says that we have this confidence before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What a marvelous and magnificent privilege we have to pray to God. All of us 
fall short in our prayer life. All of us. Doesn't matter if we're talking about individual prayer or corporate prayer. We fall short. And personally, I've never ever met a person who has said to me, you know what? I don't fall short when it comes to praying without ceasing. All of us know and realize that we need to improve and grow in crying out to God in prayer. In essence, we all need to take master class classes. I'm not talking about the online ones that you'll find on the computer, but I'm talking about classes taught by those who speak about prayer in the word of God. For the next few Sundays, I want to talk about prayer uh, so that we can improve in our prayer life, so that we can grow and have the kind of prayer lives that honor and please God. And so I want us to look at some of these teachers of the master classes, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, And of course, you know, I need to look at the psalmist, Psalm 119, the writer of that psalm. But these are individuals who teach us about prayer. And today I want us to look at Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. In this master class taught by the master himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the subject matter is, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. The Lord wants to encourage you. Uh, He wants to encourage me to to enhance our prayer life, to, to grow in this area of crying out to God. He doesn't want us to be disappointed. He's not trying to berate anyone, but the Lord wants us to be people of prayer, and he wants us to have a vital prayer life. We, we all know that we are to pray, but we need encouragement at times. And our text today does exactly that. As we come to it, we'll see that our Lord Jesus Christ teaches three lessons about prayer in our text. Jesus teaches that prayer addresses God as Father. That's very simple. That's very direct. But prayer is to God. But not just to God, but God who is Father. And for us to appreciate this idea, we we need to set the framework of, of the words that are in our text. We're in the Gospel of Luke, obviously. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus Christ has resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he's going to Jerusalem to suffer, to be killed, and to die on the cross and to rise from the dead on the third day. And he has his mind, his heart, his vision resolutely set to go to Jerusalem. And as he goes to Jerusalem, it's going to take a while. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 11. It's not until Luke 19 that we will have the triumphal entry, what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. But as the Lord is faced and directed to go to Jerusalem, the, the last thing that we read about before our text 
is his encounter with two sisters, with Mary and Martha. In Mark chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, where, where Jesus teaches about when busy is not best. You remember Martha was busy, but it was not best. She, she had neglected what was best. And what was the best? To sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him. Busy is not best when it causes you, when it causes me, to not learn from the Lord Jesus Christ and not sit at his feet. And so the Lord pointed that out to Martha. He commended her for the things that she was doing, but basically said, Martha, you have not chosen the best thing. You have not chosen to sit at my feet and to enjoy my presence and to learn from me. And the very next event is our text. Our text doesn't tell us about where Jesus is. Doesn't tell us what time of day it is. It just records this situation when Jesus is praying. He's praying, according to Luke 11, verse 1. And that shouldn't shock any of us. If you know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ, he believed in prayer. He was dependent upon his father. And there were times that he prayed all night long. And Luke stresses in this gospel, Jesus praying repeatedly. The first time he mentions it is in Luke 3 when Jesus gets baptized. Matthew doesn't tell us this. Mark doesn't tell us this. But Luke tells us that after Jesus got baptized, he was praying. And while he was praying, the spirit of God came down upon him in the form of a dove. And the father said from heaven, he is my beloved son. You are my beloved son. There were times when Jesus would get away from the people, get away from his disciples, and would pray in the wilderness. He believed in prayer. He practiced prayer. So it doesn't shock us when we come to this verse that Jesus is praying. Where is he praying? We don't know. It just says in a certain place. We don't know the locale, but he's praying. What shocks us when we read about Jesus praying It's not so much that he's praying, but that it caught the attention of one of his disciples to such an extent that they wanted to ask Jesus a question. They realized prayer was important to Jesus. This certain disciple waited till Jesus had finished praying. And then he made a request to the Lord Jesus Christ. Something happened on this occasion. Something grabbed hold of this individual. We don't know what it was. We know that Jesus is regularly praying, so this is not the first time this disciple sees it. But on this occasion, after many times of observing Jesus praying, he says, Lord, Lord, teach not just me, but teach us to pray. He saw the significance of prayer in the life of Jesus. And somehow, some way, it just moved him to say, I want to know how to pray. And not just me, Lord, teach us, teach the other disciples and me how to pray. 
And in verse 2, we read that Jesus said to them, not just to this single disciple, but to this group of disciples. He said to them. And basically what he said to them is what we call the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. It's really a misnomer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. Jesus can't pray this prayer, my friends, because in this prayer it says, forgive us our sins. Jesus can't pray that. He's sinless. He has never sinned. And so this is not really the Lord's Prayer. If you want the Lord's Prayer, read John chapter 17. But this is the disciples' prayer. This is a prayer that followers of Jesus are to pray. And it's not just simply a prayer to be recited. It's not just something we memorize and we recite. I'm not saying that it's wrong to do that. But it is wrong to utter this prayer and your heart is far away from God. Jesus didn't give this prayer just simply to find out can people memorize it and rattle it off and do it routinely and regularly, but yet when they pray it, they have no idea what they're praying about and it doesn't really guide and direct their prayer. And so this is a model prayer. What we have here in Luke is found in a fuller sense in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus preached that great Sermon on the Mount, and when he focused in on prayer. He said a lot of things about going into your prayer closet. Don't pray in front of others to be seen. But, but we also have this, quote, disciples' prayer. Luke gives a condensed version of it. I take it it's a separate occasion. He, he hasn't left out words, and that just lets us know that this is not to be a prayer that is memorized and recited verbatim. Which one are you going to recite? You're going to recite the one in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, or are you going to take the shortcut and recite the one in Luke 11, 1 through 4? The point is that this Prayer is not necessarily to be memorized. Instead, it is to serve as a model for prayer. It's to serve as an outline for our praying. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, he assumes that these followers of him, they pray. He's not saying if you pray. He said when you pray, say. He commands him, this is what you say. And again, he says this so that we might know how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And the first thing that we see is that prayer addresses God as Father. Jesus says when you pray, say, Father. You don't have to go through a whole litany of descriptions and adjectives. You can just simply say, Father. 
If, you, if you've been in churches for any period of time and you've grown up in certain churches, you know that we can, no, Heavenly Father, Almighty Father, no, and we can go on and on and on and on. Jesus says you can just say Father. You can just say Father. Uh, you don't have to impress God with your words. You don't have to butter him up. All you got to do is say Father. And that's a significant term because it means that God is the head of the family. God cares about the family. God is the authority. He is the provider. And so all of that is involved in that term father. It's a pregnant term. It's full of meaning. And when you say father, you understand it's saying something significant about God. But the most important thing is that it points out that the one who prays, the follower of Jesus, has an intimate, close relationship with the God that they're praying to. Father is not a term that you use with someone you don't know. Father is a term that you use with someone you have a relationship with. Someone that you're close. It's a term of endearment. The Aramaic term Abba indicates that. Father, Abba. And it's intimacy. Prayer is not me over there and God way out there. It's a face-to-face relationship where I can cry out to him and talk with him and commune with him. And Jesus says, make sure when you pray that you say, Father. And we just need to keep in mind that's enough when we pray. And I'm not saying you can only say Father. You can say Heavenly Father. You can say our Father who art in heaven. But, but just understand that Father is enough. That, that you and I have the wonderful privilege of communing and communicating with one who is our Father in every good sense of the word. I know some of us don't know our Father, and some of us have bad fathers, but that's not the case with our God. He is a God who cares. He is a God who provides. He is a God who loves. He's a God who has authority. He can provide. He is Father. And Jesus said, when you pray, don't forget that. You're not praying to some idol. You're not praying to some stone. You are praying to the living God of heaven and earth. When you pray, Father is what you should acknowledge God as. Now, Jesus teaches his disciple more about prayer than just this. In the rest of our text, there are five different requests. Two of them are related to God, and three are related to the one who's following God. And so the second thing that I want you to see is that Jesus teaches that prayer accentuates God's person and program. Prayer does more than just simply acknowledge God as Father. Prayer for the follower of Jesus recognizes a concern for God. 
And so when you look at these two prayer requests, they're directed toward God's person and God's program. Jesus says, when you pray, this is what your prayer life should look like. You you should be accentuating. You should be accenting. You should be emphasizing God's person and God's program. Now, sometimes we can't always do that. And, And there are prayers in the Bible that don't always do that. But that's the model. That's the outline. When Peter was walking on the water and took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink, uh, he didn't pray about God's person and God's program. He didn't care anything at all about that. He just simply said, God, save me. And there are times in our prayers where that's how immediate it is. Uh, We don't have the opportunity to pray for God's program and his person. We just have to simply bring our need before him and say, God, save me, rescue me, deliver me, help me. But when we try to structure our prayer life, uh, we need to use this model. And and this model is, I, I want to pray and have God's concern at the center of my prayers. And so followers of Jesus are taught to pray, hallowed be thy name. There was a young boy whose parents had sent him to vacation Bible school. And at vacation Bible school, he learned this prayer. He memorized it. And at the end of VBS, he went home and really wanted to let his parents know how well he had done in vacation Bible school. So he started reciting the disciples' prayer, the the Lord's prayer as we call it. And when he got to this section, hallowed be thy name, he said, herald be your name. So he thought it was talking about God's name is herald. And I guess, brother, I need to spell it out, H-A-R-O-L-D. Harold, be thy name. And another family uh, talks about their daughter having learned this prayer. And she came back, and when it got to this phrase, hallowed be thy name, she says, Hollywood is his name. You, we laugh. But, but the sad reality is sometimes we don't know what this is being said. When we say, hallowed be thy name, we don't know what that is. And so we might think that it's God's actual name is Harold or Hollywood, but no, it isn't. The psalmist is speaking about the name of God, which equals the person of God. And he's saying, God, I want your name, I want your person to be set aside and honored as holy. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're praying, God, may your person, may your character be set apart as holy, as distinct. God, may your person and character be honored. The opposite of this is when something is profaned, desecrated, violated. You do realize that in our country, If you profane and desecrate and trample on the feet 
the flag of the United States. That's a criminal offense. It's a criminal offense to profane the name of God, the person of God, to distort God, to make God into something that he is not. One of the things that ought to be true in our prayer life, that we are praying that God would be honored, that his name would be sanctified, that his name would be set apart, that his character, his person, would be elevated and lifted high. Uh, We want that. We want our God not to be seen under the feet of men and women. We don't want his name profane and blasphemed, etc. We want the name of Jesus Christ and the name of our God to be exalted because we know that it's that name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Followers of Jesus are taught to pray, hallowed be thy name. Followers of Jesus are also taught, thy kingdom come. And that speaks of the reign and the rule of God. God is king. And when Jesus came into this world, he talked about the kingdom of God being near. And I take the position that the kingdom of God didn't come on earth in the literal sense because they rejected the king, Jesus Christ. But one day the king is going to come back to earth. And when he comes back to earth, he's going to set up his kingdom on earth and he will reign. He will rule for a thousand years literally on earth. Those who follow Jesus Christ want God's reign and rule to be a reality in the life of the believer and to be a reality in the life of the church. If God's rule and reign doesn't manifest itself anywhere else, it ought to manifest itself in my heart. It ought to be evident that Christ is reigning and ruling in my life, that I am bowing my knee to God and that I'm following him. And it ought to be true in our church. We should want the reign and the rule of God in our church. That's why we preach the Bible and teach the Bible, because we believe that we need to obey the Bible and be in submission to the word of God. We want God's king to come. And until it comes, we want to see it ruling and reigning in our lives and in the life of the church. So Jesus teaches his disciple that prayer concerns itself with the person and program of God. But he further teaches them by means of these last three requests that are in verses three and four, that prayer also focuses on the needs of the disciple. And so the third thing that I want you to see, the last thing, that prayer asks God, and I've changed the outline a little bit, but prayer asks God to meet personal needs. Originally, I had human needs, but I think it's better to say that prayer asks 
God to meet personal needs. Yes, prayer is concerned with God. It focuses on God's person and God's program. But we should never ever think that it is sinful, that it is wrong, that prayer should address the needs, our personal needs. James, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, when he talks about prayer, he says to his readers, you have not because you ask not. And then he follows that up and says, some of you do ask, but you ask with wrong motives. So that's why you don't receive. But it's nothing wrong with praying for our needs, our personal needs. There was a young lady who used to always cry out to God and say, God, give me a husband. She prayed for a husband over and over and over again. She got convicted. She thought maybe this is wrong. And I'm not saying whether it is or not. I'm just telling you the story. So she decided to change her prayer. She said, God, God, give my parents a good son-in-law. You know, some of you are slow, you sleep in, so uh, hopefully you'll catch up and get that. If not, listen to the audio. Prayer for personal needs. Ask God to give us our daily bread. Did you hear that? Prayer for personal needs. Ask God to give us each day our daily bread. The term bread, as used in verse 3, is a reference to food. Okay, it's not just talking literally about food, and it's definitely not talking about the bread, meaning the word of God. It's not talking about the bread of life, Jesus Christ. It's not talking about the bread that's part of the elements of the communion service. No need to spiritualize this. This is physical bread, and it refers to food. And Jesus is saying that it's fine to pray regularly and repeatedly each day for our daily food, our daily provisions. Jesus realized that those that he was giving this prayer to lived in a society where they didn't have an abundance of things. And so they were dependent upon him. They were dependent upon God to meet their needs. And Jesus says, you can cry out to God, you can pray to God and say, God, give us, give me my daily bread. Do that each day. It's not a one-time prayer. It's not a prayer that you pray on Monday and you don't have to pray it again for the next month. This is kind of like the reminder when God provided the nation of Israel manna from heaven. He taught them a valuable lesson. No, they wanted the manna to last for several days. But God said, no, I will send it to you each day. And on the sixth day, I'll give you a double portion. And God wants us to depend upon him not once in a while. Not periodically. God wants us to live a life of dependence. Now I realize we live in a different culture. 
Uh, some of us got refrigerators with freezers. Then we got separate freezers. Uh, we, we got all kind of food. And so we, in a sense, think we don't need to depend upon God. But, but, but at least we need to bow the knee and say, God, thank you for meeting my daily needs and my daily provisions. We don't trust in money. We don't trust in our accomplishment. We trust in our God. And our prayer life needs to demonstrate that. That God, I am dependent upon you. We pray for personal needs. The prayer for personal needs. Ask God to forgive us our sins. To forgive us our sins. And this prayer is made and given in light of the reality of sin. The ugliness, the vileness of sin. It it, it recognizes that sin is harmful. It hurts. It's not innocent. It's not to be taken lightly. Sin needs to be dealt with. We need to be saying to God, God, forgive us our sins. And some of you might be saying, Pastor Paul, I've heard you say over and over again that when we become a believer in Jesus Christ, all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. And judicially, they have been forgiven. There is no sin as a Christian that has not been forgiven. All of your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins have been forgiven. And there will be nothing that separates you from the love of Christ, the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. But experientially, sin devastates, sin hurts, sin harms. And you can't just live your life with sin in it and think that you don't need to do anything with it. At least 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And it's not forgiving our sins in order that we might get to heaven, but forgiving our sins so that we can enjoy intimacy and closeness with God. And so we need to be praying. Forgive us. Forgive me my sins. But Jesus didn't stop there. What's unusual and something that we might ignore, we might focus in on that front part, but Jesus goes on to say the reason why we are to pray this is for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This is enlightening because what it's saying is that if we don't forgive if others God won't forgive us it's saying that those who ask for forgiveness they practice forgiveness now our forgiveness is based on the person the work of Jesus Christ but there is a spiritual truth here that we must understand That if we are not willing to forgive each other, how dare we 
go before God and ask him to forgive us our sins. When people sin against us and incur a debt against us, how dare we not forgive them, but yet we're willing to bow the knee and say to God, forgive me my sins. That is hypocritical. And Jesus said, I won't put up with that. You remember in Matthew chapter 18, after Jesus talks about church discipline. And Peter says, okay, Jesus, when a person commits a sin against me, a personal sin, how many times should I forgive him? And Peter thought he was being noteworthy and saying, well, seven times? (laughs) Jesus said, no, Peter, 70 times seven. And if you get to 490, then start over because you didn't forgive at all. We are expected to forgive our brothers and sisters, especially of their sins against us. Some of you, there, there might be a wife here who needs to go home and forgive her husband so that God will forgive her sins. There might be a a son here who who won't forgive his parents for one reason or the other. That son needs to go home. If he thinks that God is going to forgive him, that son needs to forgive his parents. If your pastor has sinned against you, forgive him. If you expect God to forgive you, I just thought I'd throw that in, (laughs) just in case. But it's amazing how we refuse to forgive each other. And then we have the nerve to stand before holy God and say, God, forgive me. We refuse to forgive the lesser sin, but we want God to forgive our greater sin. And Jesus, he gave that parable to Peter about the man who owed his master a huge debt. And the master forgave him. And then the servant turned around to his fellow servant, and they owed him some things, small amounts, no, puny amounts. And this servant who had been forgiven a huge debt was not willing to forgive His two fellow servants who owed him a small debt. And Jesus ended by saying in Matthew 18, 35, So shall my heavenly Father also do to you. That is, this serving was handed over to the torturers. And Jesus says, My heavenly Father will also do that to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. That's hard Christianity. We need God's grace and God's enablement. Because I guarantee you, if you're in the church, a local church, people are going to sin against you. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, that we are to have a love for one another that covers a multitude of sins. Not one or two, a multitude of sins. And we are to forgive. And Jesus is pointing out in this model prayer, in this prayer that serves as an outline, yes, we are to cry out to God to forgive us our sins. 
And, and the reason we can pray that is because we practice the forgiveness of sins toward those who sin against us. Prayer for personal needs. Ask God to lead us not into temptation. That's the last thing that we see in our text. And this prayer has perplexed Christians. Some people know James chapter 1. In James 1.13 says, teaches that God doesn't lead us into sin. And then here they come to this prayer and says, God, don't lead us into temptation. And it sounds like a contradiction. There is a tension here. But I think what Jesus is speaking of here, he's recognizing that the need for spiritual protection. That he needs, that we need God to be involved in our lives to keep us from sin. I think Jesus is saying here basically what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 10. With my whole heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. God, I need you to enable me, to help me, to strengthen me so I do not wander from your commandments. Jesus is saying we need to be crying out to God and saying, God, don't lead us into temptation. Protect us. Watch over us. Guide us. Help us. Because without your help, we will yield to temptation. So may our prayer life be enriched, be enhanced by having looked more closely at the teaching of the master teacher in his master class on prayer. May we grow from following this model prayer, this prayer that should serve as an outline for our prayer lives. When you pray, address God as Father. Know that you have an intimate personal relationship with the God of heaven and earth. When you pray, accentuate God's person and program. Pray that God's name be hallowed and sanctified and not profaned and desecrated. Pray that God's program will come. And even if it doesn't come on earth, during your lifetime, and it won't come until Jesus comes again, even if that is the case, pray that God will rule and reign in your heart and that he will rule and reign in the church. When you pray, pray and ask God to meet your personal needs. He's willing to provide you with daily food. He's willing to forgive you your sins. And he's willing to spiritually protect you so that you are not going into temptation and yielding to sin. May we pray using this portion of scripture as an outline for our prayer lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ the one who teaches on prayer. 
help us to learn the lessons from this portion of God's word in order to enhance our prayer life, in order to improve our prayer life. Thank you for the marvelous privilege that is ours to commune with you, to communicate with you, to have access to you. Help us to take full advantage of the privilege of prayer. Help us to come boldly to the throne of grace so that we might receive grace and receive mercy in the time of need. Help us, Lord, to grow so that praying without ceasing is a reality in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you will stand at this time as we close our worship service. Jesus said one of the things that Christians, followers of Jesus, are to be praying is forgive us our sins. It's very possible that there are individuals here who have not repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And if that's the case, I would encourage you to hear the gospel and to believe the gospel and to respond to it. If you want to know more about the gospel, about who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for your sins, then I would encourage you after the service to just come forward and one of the deacons, our deaconesses, will talk to you. I trust that each and every one of you are genuine followers of Jesus Christ and that you will take full advantage of prayer. One of the things I didn't point out in this text is that it doesn't just speak about individual prayer. It speaks about corporate prayer. Forgive us our sins. Give us our daily food. When you all pray. And the implication of that is that God expects you to be a part of a local church. He doesn't expect you to be a lone ranger. No matter what you've experienced in the life of a local church, God expects every genuine believer to be a part of a local church where they can serve and live their lives for God. So if you're here today without a church home and you believe God is leading you to this church, again, someone will be glad to sit down with you and talk with you. One of the best things you can do post-salvation is to be a part of a local church. The local church is not perfect, but that's why you need it. So you can grow. So God can use it in your life to help you to be what you need to be. And so either for salvation or either if you need or want to become a member of this church, I would encourage you to come. If you just need prayer, you can come forward and someone will pray for you. Our benediction comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 27. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Please remain standing for our closing benediction.